Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and we're having a special guest today on retina synthesis, Dr. Barry Cooperman. Barry is director of the Gavin Herbert Eye Institute, chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at the University of California, Irvine, and holder of the Roger Steiner Chair in Ophthalmology. Barry, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Thanks, Carmen. Pleasure to be here. The greatest unmet need in medical retina is treatment of intermediate AMD. Now that we have a treatment for geographic atrophy, the great need is what we're going to do with patients with intermediate AMD. You gave a great presentation at the ASRS discuss discussing disease mechanism and possible treatment approaches. Can you give us the top line summary of your paper? Thanks, Carmen. Yes, it's. Uh, I agree. It's our greatest unmet need now and happy to have one and now two products, uh, you know, emerging for, for GA. For intermediate AMD, what I was presenting was focusing on one product, but referencing another. Uh, the one that I was focusing on is Rizutiganeb, which is proprietary to Allegro Pharmaceuticals. But it's a mitochondrial membrane stabilizer. And in that arena, there's another product by Stealth, uh, Lamaprotide, Stealth Therapeutics, that does through a different process, but also is effectively a mitochondrial membrane stabilizer. And what these two products have in common, besides a not an identical mechanism, but a an area that they're working, but they both have shown for the first time the ability to improve vision in this population because the challenge that we were faced with historically is that GA was allowed to be the lesion size, slowing down the growth of the lesion or the differences in the lesion size were considered an acceptable endpoint. This harks back for a lot of reasons, but ironically, back to a million years ago, I was very involved in the ocular complications of AIDS and those cytomegalovirus retinitis lesions that the inhibiting the growth of those lesions were sort of set the standard for subsequently accepting anatomic endpoints rather than functional endpoints. Of course, the three endpoints that the FDA accepts is visual function or visual acuity, which is the one that's used by far. Contrast sensitivity, the least used, but also visual field has been used, of course, for glaucoma in particular. So this, there was this history of having an anatomic endpoint as an acceptable surrogate endpoint. Um, but when we get to intermediate dry AMD, that was more of a challenge. He was not as willing, Wiley Chambers at the FDA, who's been in the same position for decades, and it's been uh, that quite gratifying to have that stability there, to have somebody that you can work with that is consistent in the thought process, so that evolves over time too. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge. So, but, so he had asked for us to show an improvement in vision. In a certain sense, this was not just neuroprotection potentially, but neuroenhancement. We had to somehow make vision better. And so what both of the, so then it began, so both of these studies, the study from uh, Allegro, which is what I focused on in my presentation at ASRS, but I also referenced um, the Reclaim 1 and there's also Reclaim 2 study by Stealth that showed increase in vision using a pathway that involved the mitochondria and mitochondrial stabilization because the photoreceptors are rich in mitochondria, um, we are able to not only show an improvement in vision, 
But then we looked at anatomic features. Again, we get, we get the message. If you can find an anatomic surrogate endpoint, that may be acceptable to the FDA, or can we enrich our population as to who's gonna benefit? So the presentation I gave, uh, and I'll allude to the one that followed me at ASRS was by Peter Kaiser, and used the same data set to look at a slightly different endpoint, uh, uh, concept, which I'll get to in a moment. But um, we looked at, actually it wasn't us, uh, Glenn Jaffe at Duke and Justice Ehlers at uh, Cole Eye Institute at Cleveland Clinic, looked carefully at the patients that did show improvement in vision. And by looking at that easy, easy RPE layer, those that had some preservation of that subset within the OCTB, the, the OCT, uh, cross-sectional analysis, if you look, those that had relative preservation of the easy zone were the ones that tended to be the ones that were predictive for improving their vision. If you looked at race, gender, age, all these other features, nothing else came out. The only thing that came out to, to predict those with a higher chance of improving vision in both sets of studies, those from Allegro and the Rizutigineb, uh, and those from Stealth, uh, looking at their uh, lamiprotide, uh, both had the similar features that if there was relative preservation of the easy zone, they had a higher likelihood of improving vision. So that now sets the new standard that allows us to think about as we enroll uh, trials in the future, how to enrich that population to have more patients that are likely to gain vision. So it was very exciting in that sense. In the phase one, two Allegro product study, the Snellen visual acuity, the ETDRS visual acuity, showed remarkable improvement. Can you comment on that? Right, so uh, it was impressive. So the, the primary efficacy endpoint was eight letters of improvement, and 48% of patients had eight letters of improvement. But if you then looked at 10, and then the traditional, what the FDA has asked for, is 15 letters of improvement. Again, just to clarify to everybody, you don't have to move the whole field by 15 letters. You have to look at the subset what percentage of patients got a 15 letter gain or 15 versus those that uh, in, in the treatment arm versus the control arm, for example, is an acceptable 15 letter benefit. And something like 20% of eyes had a 15 letter gain compared to zero in the control group. So there was data there that you, we could achieve even in the overall population that was enrolled, let alone if we had pre-selected now knowing this data, a, an enriched population with the intact, relatively intact EZRPE layer. What is the mechanism of improvement? We know we have preservation of the ellipsoid zone, but how does it work? We're not exactly sure. There's a lot of conjecture, but it centers around the fact that if we can repair some of the mitochondrial dysfunction, the cells that are damaged can now start, um, because they're mitochondria, of course, mitochondria provide the energy for the photoreceptors to do their job. And they're very enriched in that easy layer. There's a lot of mitochondria in that layer. <laughs> so if we can repair uh, the damaged mitochondria or select the eyes that already have a fair amount of mitochondrial function and that have mild damage, not severe damage, they can improve their energy output or their functioning and allow the photoreceptors to function better. So we think it's a looking at a pre preserving or helping mild to modestly damaged photoreceptors so that they can actually improve their functionality. Those that are very damaged as witnessed by those with the thinner, easy um, RPE layer are unlikely to benefit from this, or at least we don't think they do to, or at least not as much. So it's likely to be a 
restoration of function to mild to moderately damaged mitochondria that allows better photoreceptor function. Is there a biomarker that identifies those patients that are going to have 15-letter improvement? So again, looking at that easy RPE layer, if it's at least 30 microns, uh, that seems to be the threshold. Again, that's going to take special measuring. That's not an easy software that's off the shelf on our uh, available OCT machines, um, but it is available and there are specialty places like Duke and Cleveland Clinic that are able to measure that, at least to pre-select in a clinical trial. Um, so there, but that is the biomarker that seems to be the strongest, something like 30 microns of preservation of the easy RPE layer. Those high resolution swept source OCTs are a lot more common. And on those, you really can see the ellipsoid zone well. Right. They're doing a lot of analyses. What, we, what you need though is accurate measuring of that. Maybe you can just eyeball it in the future, but ideally, you know, these are eyes, you know, in a clinical trial, because what we're talking about are pre-selecting patients for a clinical trial that are more likely to gain that 15 letters in vision with the notion that eventually, if that's a successful study, then we sort of care or don't care. We care less about it. We're just going to inject patients that we think are good enough. Um, but that measurement will need to be done currently anyway at a reading center for the clinical trials. In the stealth trial, patients showed improvement in low luminance vision. Can you talk to us a little bit about the design of the stealth study and the pluses and minuses of the results? Well, they've showed a variety of things. Amongst them, they showed the low luminance improvement in vision uh, with this treatment. And again, the idea is, is that's a way to be more sensitive measure of catching visual improvement, visual acuity changes. We're looking for everything to sort of enhance our likelihood of success. These our products should have much broader benefit, but they're hard to measure and it's hard to get to the FDA standard. So the low luminance is a way to catch more of the mild dysfunction and getting repair of that. Now, uh, in terms of, again, they, they also showed that their studies, another important point is that there was reduced attenuation of the easy RPE layer over time. Now that's an important feature. What Peter Kaiser showed in the lecture immediately following mine in ASRS, and that was an interesting session because the one after we were done, the normal session of the four of us speakers, then that was the presentation of the uh, uh, the vasculitis associated with the C3 inhibition. So that was what our session finished with. But the paper right after mine was by Peter Kaiser, and he looked at the same data set, not as pre-selecting patients that are more likely to benefit, but is there an anatomic endpoint? that can be used as a surrogate instead of asking for visual acuity. And it looks like, at least in the stealth study, what they also saw was a decreased attenuation of that easy RPE layer that the FDA has indicated they would be willing to consider as a surrogate anatomic endpoint. So what this two pairs of papers, uh, again, mine and followed by Peter Kaiser's, showed is that we can A, enrich our population for these clinical trials to get the ones that are most likely to show benefit by those with an intact, easy, somewhat intact EZRP layer of at least 30 microns. And then not only do we not necessarily have to show the 15 letter gain, but I think we're gonna wanna have that at the end of the day, we always care about vision, but we're gonna be allowed potentially to also have an anatomic endpoint, which is a decreased attenuation of that EZRP layer. So suddenly what we thought was going to be, I mean, is still very daunting and challenging. It's still not gonna be easy, but at least a pathway to developing products um, and then 
enrolling patients that we think are more likely to be successful and getting a benefit from those products and then having an endpoint that doesn't necessarily have to be this 15 letter improvement, but rather anatomic surrogate endpoint of the attenuation, the RPE, easy RPE layer gives a pathway that's much clearer. And I think companies out there should be very happy about this, you know, this current scenario where there are now better opportunities for success. What's the therapeutic mechanism in the stealth product? Well, it's, you know, they look, they have, they work, it works on cardiolipin and it, it, um, it restores the cristae of the, of the mitochondria. So again, it creates a better functional performance in the mitochondria. So it does, a, it, that, that's the mechanism it seems to do it. The rizutiginib of Allegro has a different mechanism where it interacts with the, uh, you know, it's an integrin peptide stabilizer, it tends to that tends to be a secondary output, but again, it's a mitochondrial mem membrane stabilizer that then has a pathway through the RGD pathway, whereas the lamoprotide is more in the cristae stabilization and working through uh, cardiolipin and other pathways. So they have distinct pathways, but their effect is, generally speaking, stabilizing the functionality of the mitochondria. What is the FDA going to require as primary treatment endpoints? It's not exactly clear yet. I mean, there have been conversations. Um, still on the table is that showing the percentage of patients with 15-letter improvement um, as that's still a benchmark, but there is a very strong um, opportunity to use this easy RPE layer as a surrogate endpoint that the FDA is likely to accept if the study is constructed properly with other caveats, et cetera, that looks like we will have an opportunity to consider that as an endpoint, likely to be tied to also showing some visual acuity benefit, but it could be that the uh, primary efficacy endpoint may be allowed to be this anatomic endpoint, notching the fact that we still need to show stronger uh, correlation with that vision benefit. But, it, but we may be able to put the anatomic benefit uh, change in front with the visual acuity behind it as a correlation. So it's, again, it's an exciting time Again, the pathway for companies that are looking for uh, being able to develop products for this huge unmet need. Again, we're looking at patients now that are before they even get to um, GA. So these are the patient population. We love to treat earlier. We'd love to, of course, want to have a product ideally that lasts longer, you know, all those other caveats. But a pathway to showing an endpoint that the FDA would accept has now become much broader and more open with both of these features, enriching the population and also having a different uh, endpoint. So again, exciting times. So both of these products would require a phase two study or phase two, three? I think that both could go to phase two, three. We've learned more about these adaptive studies and others have led the way to gather. You know, one was a phase two, three study um, for the um, Ivory Bio, the Ivison Captain Pegall. Um, uh, so again, there are opportunities for both of these to be phase two, three studies. Reclaim has done a phase two study, the Reclaim two study. Uh, the This one was by uh, Allegra was also kind of a funny phase one, two. So they've done some of their initial homework. I think they're next poised uh, to go to phase two, three uh, as the next uh, step in the pathway. Of well, this was a wonderful discussion, Barry. And I think it's the best summary of mitochondrial therapy that I've heard. Thank you for joining us on Retina Synthesis. Thanks, Carmen, for having me. And uh, again, uh, appreciate the opportunity.